Thank you. I'm going to get emotional just from that. Thank you so much. Um, John says, there's no greater joy than this to hear of your children walking in the truth. And so I'm so grateful for what God's doing through my daughter, my son, my grandkids, my sons-in-laws, daughters-in-laws. It's just great. Thank you for the honor of being able to share with you today here on the mountain. Uh, I think it's a mountain I couldn't see much as we were coming up, but uh, I know we were going uphill. I love the mountains, as Steph said. Love the outdoors, uh, especially the Rocky Mountains. The opportunity to backpack and camp and be out uh, climbing the peaks. There is nothing quite like standing on top of a 14,000-foot peak and seeing hundreds and hundreds of miles and uh, seeing the snow-capped peaks. Now, I can't do that anymore right now. Lord willing, I'll be able to do it one more time before I kick off, but uh, it's just something that's a great memory. Romans 1.20 reminds us that since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen through what's been made. And that's especially true when we're outside. And uh, so uh, being in the mountains is a special thing. Covenant, you are on a mountain. Uh, this is your truly a city on a hill. And you have the opportunity to shine forth from this place into the community around you and the world around you. A lot of special things have taken place on mountains in the Scripture. You look at uh, Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac and God providing the ram uh, in his place. Moses being called by God uh, through the burning bush took place on a mountain. You realize that the Ten Commandments were given on the Mount of Sinai as a God spoke to his people. Jesus was crucified on a mountain at Calvary. Jesus will return on a mountain on the Mount of Olives. And so mountains are special in Scripture. And the one today I want us to look at is found in Mark chapter 9. We're going to see a special thing that took place on a mountain. So if you have a Bible, turn there to Mark chapter 9. And as we begin, let me pray, if I could. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We pray that you would use them today to make us more like Jesus. I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the context for our passage today is the Mount of Transfiguration. Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up on the top of the mountain, and it says he is transfigured before them. He begins to glow. He begins to uh, glow whiter than any launderer could make it as he begins to, to have the Shekinah glory revealed once more of who he was. And so Peter, James, and John get to witness this, and they are so overwhelmed by it. They are so uh, excited about being up there that Peter yells out, Oh, Lord, let's just stay up here. This is great. Let me make three houses, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Let's just live on the mountain. Well, as you know, you don't live on the mountain. Well, you do a covenant. I saw your website. You do live on the mountain here. But most people don't live on the mountaintop. You have a great experience on the mountaintop. You're able to spend time with the Lord on the mountaintop. Uh, you have those, those times where maybe you're, you feel closer than you've ever been before. But then you have to go back down into the valley. And Mark chapter 9 is one of those stories that we see both the, the heights of the glory of Christ on the mountaintop, and now we're going to go back down into the valley. And as he goes back down in the valley, things are not quite uh, what we would think they are. We all have our, our valleys, we all have the places that are difficult, of hardship, and we all know those feelings. In fact, we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible is full of reminders for us. In John 16, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Or in Acts chapter 14, Paul says it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. Or in 1 Peter 1.3, In this you greatly rejoice that now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. So we all experience those kind of valleys in our life. We all come off the mountaintop and we're now down dealing with everyday life. 
Sometimes they're physical, sometimes they're mental, sometimes they're emotional, oftentimes they're spiritual as we have to deal with the, the situation we find in the valley. Jeff Davis, in describing this story, gives us that contrast. He says, when Jehovah Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he met the hatred of the teachers of the law and the unbelief of his disciples. From the Mount of Transfiguration to the Valley of the Devil, from the vision of glory to the sight of demon possession, from the company of Moses and Elijah talking of his dying love, to unbelieving teachers of the law mocking the disciples, from the foretaste of heaven's glory to a scene of sin, sickness, and pain, from the voice of God testifying aloud of His love for His Son to the voices of men loudly expressing their disdain for the Son of God and His followers. We come from a mountain where three apostles were awestruck at what they were seeing to the sight of a tormented child, mute and under an evil influence, a broken-hearted father, a little band of feeble disciples, helpless at Satan's power. What a painful contrast. And this was all found within the confines of one day in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, and here in a single chapter of Mark's Gospel. So we're going to look at that today and draw some application. How do we live with those kind of contrasts? How do we live in the valley when we find ourselves being oppressed, where we find ourselves being discouraged, we find ourselves being attacked? How can we have the kind of confidence that we need to be Christians in those environments? So turn in in Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 14 and just kind of read through and give some, some comments as we go and draw some application here at the end. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And Jesus asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with the spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. First observation, Jesus and Peter and James and John have been up on the mountain. They've had this wonderful experience. They're coming down the mountain. They're they're having a discussion on the way down. They get down, and they see this crowd. And they see the other nine disciples down there having this argument, this discussion, this debate with the religious leaders. And the debate goes something like this. You guys have no power. You can't do anything. Yeah, you think you're so hot casting out demons and healing people, you can't do anything right now. And the disciples couldn't. It says they could not do it. Now Mark chapter 6, the disciples had all been sent out. They'd been sent out two by two and they were doing exactly that. They were healing, they were casting out demons, the gospel of the king was being preached. They were successful and come back and say, this is great, this is wonderful. But now in Mark chapter 9, because I think they were relying on their own power, we're going to see that because they weren't praying, They thought, just bring them to me, we can take care of this. And they failed miserably because they weren't relying on the Lord. And so now we see in the context, this father has brought his son to Jesus and he settles for the disciples. We do that oftentimes. Instead of bringing it to Jesus, we'll go to the best book or the best tape or the best conference or the best counselor or best friend. We think that they're the ones who are going to lead us and they're the ones who are going to help us out of our valley. But the only one who's going to help us out of our valley is Jesus. We need to bring things to Jesus. We need to bring our our difficulties and our problems to Jesus. So this man has brought his son. And his first attitude is one of demanding, I told your disciples to cast it out. But they couldn't do it. Moving on, verse 19, he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? He's rebuking his disciples for their lack of faith. 
How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they bring the boy to him. And when the boy sees Jesus, immediately the spirit throws him into a convulsion. Falling to the ground, he began rolling about, foaming at the mouth. The son goes into a great seizure. The demon now throws him to the ground and, and he's thrashing around it. It's not a pretty picture. He's having a seizure and he's thrashing, he's foaming at the mouth, he's stiffening out. He's probably making uh, unusual noises and, and all in front of this crowd of people. How embarrassing for a father. How difficult to see your son in that condition surrounded by all of these people who are mocking you and making fun of you. Jesus asked his father at that point, now wouldn't you expect, I brought my son to you to heal. And Jesus sees him, and what does he do? You're healed? No, he begins a conversation. He wants the medical record. How, how long has this been happening to him? The father's kind of incredible. What do you mean, how long has this been happening to him? It's been, it's been from childhood. Oftentimes it throws him into the fire, it throws him in the water, trying to destroy him. But if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now the father's tone is completely different. Instead of demanding, cast him out, he's pleading, can you please have mercy on us? Have compassion on us, if you can do that at all. Jesus is carrying on a conversation with the father because he wants to test the father's faith. It's not enough just to come to Jesus and make your demands and go off like we so often do in our prayer time. We come to Jesus and we say, Lord, here's what I need you to do for me, and then we go our own way. And even sometimes we demand it. God, I demand that you do this for me right now. I'm a follower of yours. I go to Covenant College. You need to do this for me. And Jesus is going to test your faith. Jesus is going to wait sometimes to answer your prayer. Jesus may actually make you answer a few more questions before he even begins to deal with your problem. Because he wants you to become aware of your heart. Do you really believe in him? Do you really trust in him? At the beginning he said, yeah, I brought him to you to, to heal him. But now he says... I don't know. Can you do anything at all? If you can, please have pity on us. And Jesus turns that if back on him. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Questioning the man's faith. Do you really believe in me? Do you really believe I have the power and the ability to heal your son, to take care of your problem, to make your life better? Do you really believe I can do that? And the great answer from the Father, I do believe, but help my unbelief. That's a phrase we should all have in our vocabulary. Lord, I do believe, but man, there's so often I don't. There's so many things I have struggles with. There's so many things I don't know how to believe exactly. My life isn't turning out just like I wanted to. I do believe you, Lord, but please help my unbelief. Help me through those times where I'm struggling, through those times where I'm doubting. And that's what the Father has now come to, from a demanding spirit now down to, Lord, I do believe, but please help my unbelief. Jesus has compassion on the Father. When this, Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, verse 25, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. With a word, Jesus heals this boy. Now the Father's problems are all over. Everything's great, right? Well, verse 26, after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it got worse. It didn't get better. The son is still on the ground. He's still flopping around. He's still foaming at the mouth. He's still groaning and screaming. And Jesus rebukes the spirit. The spirit comes out, but now it says he goes into a greater convulsion. He begins to go even further into that. Finally, the spirit leaves, and it says he became so much like a corpse 
that most of them said he is dead. I brought my son to you to heal him. Now he's dead. And you can just imagine the crowd. We're, we're becoming more and more familiar with mobs. And, and you can imagine this mob that is gathered around. And the guys in the front are going, hey, he killed him. Kid's dead. And the rumor's spreading through the crowd. And people are beginning to laugh. People are beginning to question. People are beginning to, to say, what kind of God is this? This child looks dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. All it takes is a touch from Christ. All it takes is him taking you by the hand and raising you up to heal you, to restore you, to deliver you, to take care of any of your problems, any of the situations you find yourself in. It just takes a touch from Jesus. When you bring your problems to people, people are going to let you down. I know, because I've let a lot of people down. But when you bring your problems to Jesus through people, use them as those great tools. You are in a wonderful place. The resources you have here at Covenant are phenomenal. You have great faculty and staff. You have counselors. You have churches all over the place that you can go to. But don't settle for them. Use them to get to Jesus. Make sure that you take your problems to Him. So, the child is healed. We assume that the father and son go off together now, that their lives have been completely changed and transformed because of the touch of Jesus. What happens, though, if you were the father and Jesus isn't doing things right away? You see that progression from demanding to uh, doubting to believing. But what if you're the boy? What if you're the one that has the demon possession? What if you are the one that is so oppressed you have no control over your body? You can't do anything. You get seized by these convulsions. You're on the ground. You have no hope. What if that's you? What if you're the boy and not the father? What do you do? Turn over to Luke chapter 5. Because Luke 5 is going to give us the answer. What do you do at the times where you can't get to Jesus on your own? What happens at those times where you're worried uh, and, and you're so distraught and you're so paralyzed by fear or by uncertainties or by something else that you just can't get to Jesus on your own. Well, in this story in Luke 5, very familiar again, Jesus is teaching in a house. He's surrounded by the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, the people that don't like him, the people that are trying to destroy him. Those are the people that are in the house while he's teaching. And it says, four men brought with them a friend, carrying him on a pallet. And they brought their friend to this house because they heard Jesus was there and they wanted him to be healed. And they bring him to Jesus and now suddenly they realize we can't get in this house. The door is jammed. The windows are full. There's no way to get in. So what do these guys do? They go up on the roof and they dig a hole and they let their friend down through the roof. Now again, we can only imagine, one guy commenting on this said, can you imagine, let's call the guy Fred. He says, can you imagine poor old Fred? Place not on one of those carefully designed, constructed ambulance-type stretchers, but rather on a kind of makeshift pallet. Hands may have slipped in the process of getting Fred to the roof, and poor Fred may have several times dangled precariously on his pallet, threatening to fall to earth too far below. For all we know, Fred might have panicked and pled to be taken home where life was safer. And once on the roof, can you imagine the difficulty of four men carrying this stretcher over the hot tiles? Lowering Fred down through the roof must have provided another spine-tingling ride. 
Mark's account says they simply dug through the roof. And you can imagine if you're in the house and all this debris is falling on you, these guys are so desperate and so intent on getting their friend to Jesus that they weren't going to be stopped. Man is lowered in front of Jesus. He starts by saying, wow, friend, your sins are forgiven. But notice in verse 20 of Luke 5, seeing their faith. Seeing the faith of the poor friends looking down through that hole in the roof as they've lowered their friend down in front of Jesus. Jesus, seeing their faith, says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then to prove that he does have power to do that, he is God, he has the ability to forgive sins. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk, but in order that you can know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man, I say to you, rise, take up your stretcher and go home. And at once he rose up before them, took what had been, he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. It's the faith of the friends and the ability to, for Jesus to heal that provided a miracle. They simply helped by bringing him to Jesus. Three years ago, I was diagnosed with stage 3 rectal cancer. That was my valley. That was the opportunity to realize that uh, I could die. I had to deal with that. It rocked my world. Rocked my wife's world and Steph's world, and it was just a difficult thing to go through. There were times where I couldn't do anything. I could just lay on the couch. I didn't have the, the ability to pray. I couldn't read. I couldn't even think because of the chemo that just creates this fog in your brain. But I had friends, and I had family, and I had believers around the world that brought me to Jesus. They carried my stretcher and they lowered me in front of Jesus because I couldn't do it on my own. Where will you find yourself? Of all places, Covenant College. This should not be a place where you say, I have nobody to help me. And maybe you're not having a valley experience right now. Maybe you're having a mountaintop experience right now. Maybe things are great like Peter, James, and John. But look around. There are people in this room right now who desperately need somebody to carry them to Jesus. They need somebody to just listen, somebody to help, somebody to provide a way that they can come into the presence of Jesus and receive that touch and receive that healing that is there. So let me give you a few quick applications of these stories as we, we think about it. First is remember that God loves you deeply and intimately and fully and nothing will ever be able to separate you from that love. Paul's great declaration in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. When you're going through the valley, God loves you. When you're going through that valley, He has not left you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Number two, remember that God is good. My theology got real simple during my year of treatment. Had a chemo and radiation and three surgeries and more chemo. And uh, in the midst of that, my theology, you know, I, I'm a PCA pastor. I know all that reform stuff. But my theology boiled down to three points. God is good. God is in control. And God is with me. And when you're in the valley, sometimes the simpler the better. When you're there... God's goodness has not been lost. He is still a good God. God is still in control of all things. Nothing happens outside of His sovereign hand. And God is with you. 
one of the greatest promises in Scripture, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't fear, because I'm with you. Or 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. When you're in the valley, don't ever lose sight. Your God is still there. Your God is still good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And He is still in control. Nothing has changed. The Lord reigns. Now, maybe you're not in the valley, so what should you do? Well, my advice to you today is be a stretcher carrier. Find somebody who's in need. Find somebody who really is going through a deep, dark time. Come alongside them. Bring them to Jesus. Pray with them. Pray for them. Bring them to to somebody who may be able to help them. Take them to a counselor. Take them to somebody who might be able to provide for that particular need. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. If we can't be stretcher bearers for one another, then there's something wrong. All of us at times need that. And all of us at times need to be the ones to carry other people. And then pray for yourself in the midst of your valley and pray for others as they go through theirs. And remember, Jesus sees your faith. And as He sees your faith in Him to heal and restore, as you bring people to Jesus, He responds to that. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For you and for the people you're praying for as you bring them to Christ. And finally, keep your focus on Christ. It's too easy in the midst of the valley, like the man bringing his son, all the distractions, all the noise, all the commotion, this big crowd gathered around, people yelling, screaming, the disciples arguing with the religious leaders over here, the son going into convulsions, there's noise, they're swapping around, there's foaming at the mouth, people are laughing, people are are talking. Don't get distracted. In your valley, keep your focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12 reminds us, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people who have gone before, those people of faith, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. No matter where you are in the process, if you are in the valley or if you're on the mountaintop, if you are carrying somebody or you need to be carried, Jesus is the only one who can ever do that for you. Jesus is the only one who can heal and restore and deliver and make you whole. Keep your focus on Him as you do that. Let's pray as we close. Gracious God, what an incredible promise that you listen to us and you are with us and you love us and you care for us. That God, you are a good God and you are a powerful God in control of all things. In the midst of our valleys, when we're going through those hard times, whether they're emotional, physical, spiritual, 
Whatever we go through, may we trust that You are with us in the valley. And God, I thank You that there's some here, maybe many here today, that aren't going through that. But Lord, use them to bring others to You. May each one of us realize that we need to carry a stretcher and bring our friends to You so that You can heal them and You can restore them. Most of all, Father, for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in the process, may we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For we ask it all in His powerful name. Amen.